The name of Jesus truly has power to loosen the bonds. Keep us from experiencing Your full life. Your full grace. Your full liberty. Your full freedom. May Your name bring liberty to each heart so that all may experience Your powerful name. Amen. As I said, dear ones, it is uh, great to be with you today as we, as, we share, as we share together, as we sing praises to God, as we, as we worship this day. You know, it's been a few, as the temperatures get cold, it's been a few times, uh, a few weeks since this has happened, but the first day of school is always a special day. For those of you that are in school right now, you may not agree with that statement. I realize that. Um, but for those of you that are no longer in school, for those of us that are no longer in school, uh, you might look back on that first day as a day of fondness. You get to meet new people, especially if you're new to the school or, or new to college or in a large, a large university, a large school. You, you go to your class and you see those that are in your class some you recognize and know, and, and some that you don't yet know. And even if you don't learn everybody's name, you know each other because you've gone through the same trials and tribulations together. You, you, you've, you complain, you can, have, can share general complaints about your professor or your teacher. You can share general complaints about the midterm and how unfair the grading was, or, or, or just whatever the case may be. The first day of school is also the day you get your syllabus. It tells you what to expect in the class. It lays out the requirements for the class. You learn about the textbooks that you have to buy. I don't think kids have textbooks anymore, so that dates me. My son doesn't seem to have any textbooks, and so like it's all on the computer. And I'm kind of tech savvy, but I do not understand the computer textbooks thing, and I can't help my son out. But uh, anyways, but you, you buy your textbooks, you, you, you learn how the, the way that the course will be graded, you, you learn about the number of exams and how, how many assignments that you're going to have. You also learn that what the attendance policy is, if there's an attendance policy. And the best thing about the first day of class, at least in college, is that that's all you do. That's all you do. You learn the rules of the class, and then you go home, or you go to your next class to learn the rules of the class, and then you go and continue. And the syllabus, it basically gives you the ground rules for the class, the rules on how you can succeed, and the ways in which, the multiple ways that you can fail, or at least not succeed as, as much. Not only are rules important in school, they are, they are especially important in sports. I mean, we're talking about football in the midst of football season. And, 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 you know, football, there's generally a set of rules for football. This is how you play the game. But each league has its own rules, its own specific rule book. And so if you go to the NFL playing the rules that you played in high school, like they don't translate. There's, there's you know, timeouts work different. Overtime works different. Uh, what, what counts as a catch is different. What counts as a touchdown is different. The ways that, that you're allowed to sell Celebrate are different. What happens if the game ends in a tie? So each league has its own rule book, so to speak, and 
And, and for those that are really like really nerds into this, and that's like I think fair to say, because if you're if you know all the rules backwards and forwards, if you know each league and how the rules change, and you get really upset, some probably not you get really upset when those rules change. They they used to be one thing, but now there's something else. There's always a commentary when they change, regardless of the reasons behind the change. And then in life. And then in life, there are certain basic rules that we're all supposed to abide by. And, and usually these rules end up getting codified in law. You know, how fast you can drive. Or how fast you can drive without seeing blue lights in your rearview mirror. Or, or what happens when you take something that doesn't belong to you. Or, or, or you go somewhere you're not supposed to be. And then there's all kinds of complex rules on, on, on how, you can, uh, how you are employed and, and, and how you can employ someone else. All kinds of complex rules on, on what constitutes a legal way to make investments and, and what, what all of this has to do. Things that you can do and you cannot do in society. Laws lay out kind of the guardrails in the way we do life together. They don't tell you much about how to, how to live so much in the middle of the road, but they tell you how far you can go to the right and the left and still remain in bounds. But they don't really give you on how you should live your day-to-day -day life with other people. So today we're beginning a, a three-part sermon series where we're going to look at three general rules for life. It really, maybe better titled, Three General Rules for Living a Faithful, a Faithful Life. And these three general rules, I think they can help you grow closer to God and, and can help you grow closer to other people and can probably help you feel better about who you are and yourself. These three, three general rules are, are, are things that can help power our life and your life together. While we interact with a lot of rules in life, I think that these three general rules are kind of a, a summation of all you really need to know to live a good life. To live a life that, that can make a positive impact on others. Now I want you to know these rules are not new. These rules date back, and if, you're, and if you've been a, a Methodist or you're not a Methodist for most of your life or you've been in church, perhaps you've heard these rules before. But these rules date back to the founder of the Methodist movement, a guy by the name of John Wesley, who lived in the 18th century. And, and John Wesley was, was committed to helping people live a life that was deeply committed to God, that was totally transformed by God, and also a life that was deeply committed to other people. And, and what he found is that sometimes people went you know, on the life committed to God part side a little too much, and sometimes people went on the life committed to other people side a little too much. And so he wrote these rules to give to the people called Methodists to kind of help them live a good life and make a positive impact, make a positive impact on the world. And these general rules, we still have them today. They're, they're pretty simple. They're, they're do no harm, do good, and attend upon all the ordinances of God. So that last one kind of has some odd language that we probably don't speak of these days, and we'll be looking at that last one in just a couple of weeks, and I'm already excited to share with you that. But the first, ten, first two kind of sound pretty straightforward. You know, Don't do any harm, but also do good. 
You know, it's easy when we think about living life and think about faithful living. Perhaps you do this. You think about, I need to get closer to God, or I need to, there's something going on in my heart that, that is troubling me, or, 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 or you're at a place that you don't really want to be. And so often, what we, what we think about, the first step into getting closer to God is to start doing something. I mean, when you, when you, uh, when you, when you have a goal in New Year's to do something new, you, you, you start by doing that something. And so most of us have this idea that faithful living starts with something you do. Your strategies of growing closer to God. Oh, I know I need to pray more. I know I need to read my Bible more. I know I need to attend church more. You should do all those things, by the way. Um, I, I know I need to, to give more of, of what God has blessed me with. I know I need to be more caring to other people. But for Wesley, for these general rules that he gave the people called Methodists, the, the, the people that were trying to live a life saved by God and, and deeply committed to other people, he said the first thing you need to do is not to try to do something, but you need to pay attention to the things you should not do. So, so don't pay so much attention at first to the things that you need to do, but pay first attention to the things that you should not do. The first general rule for life is to do no harm. Do no harm to others. And thinking about this general rule for, for doing no harm, I'm reminded of what Jesus said about the general, about kind of these general rules in, in Matthew, in the book of Matthew. And, and Matthew, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people and, and sharing with them. He's teaching with them. He's doing the things that, that Jesus does. And in, in Matthew chapter 5, he kind of he kind of lays out some rules that are really kind of radical rules. And so if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with me, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, kind of looking at select verses through Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Here Jesus said this, Don't even begin to think that have come to do away with the law and prophets. So at first, people thought that Jesus came to do away with the law because the law was old and Jesus was new. But Jesus says, nope, don't even begin to think that I, I've come to, way, come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of the pen will be erased from the law until so everything there becomes a reality. Then in verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those who lived a long time ago, don't commit murder. And all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. Well, now that's a pretty good you know, regulation. Don't commit murder. But I say to you, says Jesus, everyone who is angry, uh-oh, everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. Um, uh, if you say to your brother or sister, you idiot, they are, uh-oh, in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if you say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. So Jesus says, if you murder, that's bad. But uh, one more, if you do these other things in your heart, it's bad too. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And then down in verse 43, he does some more of these. And you've heard it said and gives some more regulations. And then in verse 43, he says this, you've heard that it was said, 
you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That sounds so great. Let's love those that are close to us, and let's hate those that are opposed to us. I mean, that's really good stuff. Thank you. Amen. But, uh uh-oh, again, but I say to you, love your enemies. Ooh. And pray for those who harass you. Uh Uh-oh, again. So that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. So I want to point out that I just read selections from what Jesus has to say here. There's a lot more that he points out and a lot more nuance. So if you want to, if you're interested in that, it's Matthew chapter 5. Make a note, go home, uh, read that read that part of the Bible, and there's some stuff I guarantee you that will be quite challenging to you. And I also want to say that each one of these kind of, you've heard it said one thing, but I'm telling you something else. Each one of these things is, is this, could be the subject of a, of a sermon in itself. It could be the subject of deeper study and deeper scrutiny in itself. Each of these teachings is a powerful thing that, that could use some uncovering. But to me... When I'm thinking about this general rule of doing no harm, this is where I go. I go to Jesus saying to you, you've heard people said, don't do this bad thing. Well, actually, what I mean is, is really, don't do this bad thing and, and also protect your heart, right? And protect your mind from thinking or feeling or saying the bad thing also. If you look at the, the general rule of doing no harm, I think that, that John Wesley may even have gone a little bit further than Jesus in some of what he had to say on this. And, and I'm going to do the, the... I talked about sporting nerds, and I'm going to do the, the other nerd thing and just kind of read to you some of what John Wesley had to say about doing no harm. And this is still found in the rule book that United Methodists have. I call it our book of discipline. This is found there. It's part of how we're supposed to live our lives together. So this is, what, uh, this is what John Wesley had to say about this first rule. He said that everyone who wants to be a Methodist should continue to share evidence of their desire for salvation. So if you want to follow God and you want to be a Methodist specifically, uh, you need to show evidence of your desire to follow God. And he said, first, by doing no harm, by avoiding every kind of evil, especially that which is most generally practiced. So avoid all kinds of evil, especially the kind of evil that is practiced a lot in his time and place, such as taking the name of God in vain, the profaning of the day of the Lord, either by doing ordinary work therein or by buying or selling, drunkenness, buying or selling spiritous liquors, or by drinking them unless in case of extreme necessity. It's a good caveat there, okay? Unless in case of extreme necessity. Slaveholding, buying or selling slaves. From the very beginning, in the 18th century, John Wesley was an abolitionist saying that that if you want to follow after God, you can't own or buy other people. Fighting, quarreling, brawling, brother going to law against brother, returning evil for evil, or railing for railing, or using many words in buying or selling. And again, buying or selling goods that have not paid the duty. The giving or taking of things on usury. Unlawful interest. Uncharitable or unprofitable conversation. Particularly speaking evil of magistrates or ministers. That's what John Wesley said. Not me. 
Doing to others as we would not they should do unto us. So, doing to other people the way you don't want them to do to you. Doing what we know is not for the glory of God, such as putting on of gold and costly apparel, the taking such diversions as cannot be used in the name of Jesus, the singing of those songs or reading of those books which do not tend to the knowledge of God, softness and needless self-indulgence, laying up treasure upon earth, and the last one, borrowing without a probability of paying or taking up goods without a probability of paying for them. I mean, John Wesley even points out the kinds of songs you should not sing and the kinds of books you should not read. I mean, if you, they don't tend toward your heart, toward the love of God, you should avoid them. I'm, I'm really glad that John Wesley didn't know about TV and movies because he'd probably have a whole list of every TV show and movie that, that I watch that, that would be on this you know, banned list of things you should probably avoid. When I think about this gar- guidance of, of doing no harm, and I think about what Jesus has to say also, I think, though, it's not so much about a list of things you can avoid. I mean, religious people are really good at making lists. And perhaps you grew up in a religious tradition that said, you know, no drinking, no, no, no uh, like dancing, no swimming with people of the opposite sex. I mean, maybe some of this is in your religious tradition growing up. It's not where I came from, but maybe this is, is what you came from. And, and, and so, but I don't think that when we look at what Jesus has to say, that he's so much concerned with a list of things you should avoid. I mean, there's quite a bit of wisdom in the list. We could probably make our own list of things that, that are kind of more modern things to contemporize what Wesley had to say as far as his list of things to avoid, to make some updates. You know, don't borrow something if you can't pay it back. Don't, don't cheat other people in your interactions with them. Don't, don't invest too much in the comforts of this world. Now, this is generally good advice on, on how to not do harm. But if it was just a checklist of things you shouldn't do, if the thing isn't on the list, then you're in the clear. If you have a checklist of things you shouldn't do and the thing that you want to do or the thing that you do do is, is not, in the, not on the list, then like you're in the clear. The problem with this thinking, though, is that for Jesus and for our general rule, it's not just a checklist of things to avoid. In fact, when you're given this rule of do no harm, it's more of a lens for how to see others or a filter for how to judge your interactions with other people. When you really live this rule of doing no harm, it influences the way you think about others, the, the way that you go about your, your life. And when you live this way, it makes, it makes you different. It really does. That's what Jesus was talking about. He said, the way of this world is one thing. The way of this world says, do not murder, but you shouldn't even think ill of other people. You shouldn't even curse other people in your heart. And then he said, you've heard it said to, to love your neighbors and, and hate your enemies. He says, yes, love your neighbors. But he also says, no, don't hate your enemies. In fact, pray for them. When we live the way of do no harm, it really does 
It really does make you different. And you don't have to look far, but, uh, but, but most in the world are, are more interested in, in winning or, or being right or getting their way. Most in the world are, are more interested in their way being the right way or their system of beliefs being the system of beliefs that everybody believes in. But, but the way of Jesus says, do no harm. And when you do no harm, you are first committed to not being right, but you are first committed to doing no harm. Before anything else, make sure you don't harm someone else. When you keep this maxim of doing no harm on the forefront of your mind and the forefront of your heart, it can serve as a filter for all you encounter and how you deal with these encounters. And you've overheard someone. You've overheard something about someone else. And it comes as no surprise to you because you know that they are living their life poorly because you've told them so. They don't live your life, live their life the way that you think they should live their life and the way that you advise them to live their life. You, you, you are super clear about the fact that you think they are doing the wrong thing and all that they are doing, they don't agree with your advice. Someone not agreeing with your device, but they don't agree with it. So when you hear that something's going on in their life that, that isn't so happy, or that might be a, a bit of, of misfortune, you say, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. They're not living the way I want them to live, so of course, and maybe you take a little bit of delight in their misfortune. Or perhaps you knew that he should have never married her. So you delight even just a little bit, a little bit in the misfortune that, that they are getting a divorce. And then you share the news with someone else, right? You share the news with someone else, and maybe you don't call it gossip because, you know, you've been to church in the past month or two, and maybe you have um, the best of intentions, and so you are requesting prayer for someone. And, and, and not that you're just requesting prayer for someone, but you know that for this person to pray, they have to know all the little details and all the ins and outs and, 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 and know a little bit of your own commentary about why they are feeling this way. And so your gossip isn't so much gossip, but it's a prayer request, right? And, and, and maybe a prayer request, even a nosy prayer request, makes you feel better or, or it makes it seem a little more Christian. What if instead, as you begin to hear the gossip, the complaining, what if instead you remember, do no harm? Do, do no harm. Do no harm so you can't share the gossip. You can't even really continue in the conversation and listening to what the person is doing or, or, or perhaps holding this rule of doing no harm leads you to actually, leads you to action to actually go talk to the person, to have a conversation with them and, and share with them and, and even, even ask if they are doing okay, checking on them because, because they are loved by the same God. That loves you. When you really live, do no harm. You can't speak ill of those that you disagree with. I mean, that's really inconvenient. But you're not supposed to do it. You can't manipulate the facts that are on the ground to suit your own agenda. And that's, and that's inconvenient too. So with do no harm as your filter on your heart and, and in your mind, you are able to see others as, as other people who are, who are just as loved by God. The same God that loves you and desires the best for you. This simple rule, do 
no harm. It can serve, serve a spot just in your mind. A placeholder just in your mind. A filter to, to guard your actions and to guard, to guard your words. The neat thing about, about the rule is that it is so simple. It is so simple. You don't have to really remember anything. It's just do no harm. It's so simple that you can just park it right there on your mind and, and in your heart. Just, just park it right there. And so as you encounter things, as you, as you encounter someone else, as you encounter thoughts or feelings, you can first run it through the filter, do no harm. And, and this simple rule, it has, it has incredible power. If you truly commit yourself to do no harm in your life and in your relationship, it has the power to, to demilitarize your thoughts, your actions, your words, and, and I think even, even your prayers. And while I think that this first step, this first step of the general rules, this first rule of doing no harm is an incredibly powerful tool that, that can help you live a faithful life, I also, I also want to point out that this is the first rule. This is the first rule. And so this next, what I'm going to share next, is kind of a word of caution. This rule, do no harm, is the first rule, which means if it's the first, I learned that you can't have a list and just have you know, number at one. You also have to have a two at least. And so this is just the first rule. There is much more to living a faithful life than to simply do no harm. So get to this first rule. Do no harm. You can't just stop there. I think sometimes people have this idea that, that do no harm is, is, is such an important rule that, that you get to do no harm and it kind of immobilizes you from doing anything else because you're, you're just so focused on, on not doing harm that you forget that there are other rules too. And I, and I think, and this kind of gets personal, but I think we saw some of this during the pandemic. Becoming so focused on not doing harm. There's incredible harm that... that, that that, that could be done, especially when you're facing a global pandemic. But, but some got so focused on doing harm that, that people forgot that the church was also supposed to be a place to help people uh, do good. And also supposed to be a place to, to help, to, to connect people to holy places with, with the holy love of God. So it's not just about doing no harm, it's also about doing good and, and connecting people to the holiness to God. And, and I want to confess to you as your pastor, not your pastor, well, I guess we're still in a pandemic, but not your pastor during the height of the COVID pandemic, that I fell into this trap too. That, that I too fell into this trap. So as a word of warning, it is possible, I think, for the rule, do no harm, to become an idol of sorts. That actually means you harm someone else in a manner that you never, never even imagined. You become so consumed with, with doing no harm in one area of your life that you actually bring harm on someone in another area of your life. And I want you to know that that if you find yourself in this position, you're not alone. It's important to confess it. It's important to come to the reality of where you are and where you have been. It's important to confess it. And, and it's important to ask for forgiveness. To ask God for forgiveness. And also to try to, to ask those you might have hurt, even unintentionally, for forgiveness. 
Because when doing no harm becomes an idol, you paradoxically actually make it, you do the harm that you're trying to avoid to others that you never intended to. And this is just no joke. Perhaps though, the antidote, the antidote of doing no harm, becoming an idol, and actually harming others is the rule in itself. To see doing no harm as a filter. To see doing no harm not as, as, as something that you, that you stand up as the, the most important thing, but, but see doing no harm as a filter through which your words, through which your thoughts, through which your actions that, that, that come that come to you, which they, they have to run themselves through this filter so that they become distilled into something that actually does no harm. To, to run your thoughts and your actions and your words through this filter before they manifest themselves into the world in ways that they can never return. After all, this is the first general rule for living a faithful life. It's the first rule so it can be a filter for those things. It can be a screen to help guard yourself your mind from doing things you might regret later on. A filter for those things, those thoughts, those actions, and those words that you don't really need in your life and you don't really need in your life with other people. So today I want to leave you with just a small prayer, dear ones. And This is a prayer that I, I, a prayer that I hope that you can just keep praying and keep this in your mind. It's a simple prayer, and it was inspired by a United Methodist bishop who wrote a small book on these three general rules a few years ago. And, and as I pray it, I want to invite you to pray it and repeat after me. So this becomes not just my prayer, but it becomes a prayer that you also voice, that I will say a line and then you repeat after me to may this be your prayer. And if you're online and worshiping today, I hope that you too We'll pray in this way. Let, let's pray. Dear Lord, this is when you respond, Dear Lord. Let's try it again. Dear Lord, may I guard my lips, my mind, and my heart. My lips, my mind, and my heart. So that my language, so that my language will not disparage, injure, or wound. Will not Another child of God. Another child. Make me to do no harm. Do no harm. And all my thoughts, actions, and words. Amen. And if you need a, a simple form, because I can't remember that. If you need a simple form, just prayerfully repeat. Do no harm. Do no harm. And I invite you to take that prayer of doing no harm with you this day. May God bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. And remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page, at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks, and have a blessed day.